What, did you think you were getting a TED Talk here? Welcome to Common Threads. This is an interview series with the Highland Park High School class of 1995. Like, this is going to be something big, and I don't want to miss out. I got to say thanks. This uh, project, this little podcast, had a really big pop in downloads after Mr. Heggie posted a note to the Facebook. Thank you. I I just can't say thank you enough for listening, actually taking the time to listen to these things. The messages that have come in have been amazing. They have just been so sweet, and and the the comments on the Facebook post were so nice. And I just this really is uplifting to me. It's that it shows that people are listening, and and somebody appreciates the work that goes into this. And I just am so I'm over the moon about it. And so we reached a thousand downloads. Uh, I think at the end of May, and I'm sorry about the delay here. I've just been met. I've just been in a series of trying to get the um, the the application I'm working on launched on Bloomberg, and it's it's a lot more work than I expected. But the uh, good part is is that I've got a great interview with Lee Harrelson in the books. It's now Lee is Lee is not Lee Harrelson anymore. It is Lee Stein. And she drops a few knowledge bombs on me about wine and the clean crafted movement in viticulture. And so what we do is go over her career in New York. We talk about her, what she was doing at Getty Images. We talk about her move back down to Austin. And then we talk about her career at Scout and Cellar. And it's just a really fun conversation. And I just, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed talking to Lee. Hope you guys enjoy. This call is being recorded. Okay. There we go. That's that's so much better. Crystal (laughs) clear. How have you been? I've been good. Really good. Life in Austin is great. And I love that you're doing this. Yeah. This has become uh, a really fun project. And honestly, it was, you know, I see you doing a lot of social media selling. And I'm trying to do selling over social media. And I'm also trying to get together engaging content. And Mm -hmm. the whole project started out as, okay, I need to figure out how to record a podcast. And then this just, hopefully it's turning into something. But it's just fun to record a conversation with people and then put it out there and see if anything happens. It's really just promoting the businesses of our classmates. And it's pretty incredible to see how many people down in Austin are running businesses out of our class. I think our high school class and just Highland Park in general has one of the best networks in business, but we don't really flex it. I'm glad you're doing it. I'm interested to hear what people are doing. I think it's really fascinating. Yeah, you were at Getty. Like, 
so you left Texas and you went to Getty. You went up to New York. And did you mm-hmm. immediately go to Getty? What were you doing? Yeah, when, so uh, I went to UT and I, I did a semester abroad in London, actually, my junior year. And I, I knew I wanted to get, yeah, spring semester my junior year was awesome. It was called the International School of London. And went with a couple of friends and then met some great people over there and just had a blast in London and traveling around. So easy to travel from there. So we did as much as we could. So I knew I wanted to get out of Texas after that. I was ready to do something different. And I started looking for jobs my senior year. And I had a Dallas connection to a company called the Image Bank and did phone interviews and landed my first job. And so I was ready to go to New York and I was set to room. Where was the image bank? Was the image bank in Dallas or was the image bank in Austin? There was an office in Dallas and an office in New York. So I got the job in New York. And so I got that job in May and I moved right after graduation, beginning of June, and moved up there with a friend of mine from the semester abroad. And you're you're there first year in New York with the Image Bank? Or how Mm -hmm. long was it? It was, yeah, it was probably a year or maybe more, but we got bought by Getty Images. So that's why over there. So it's all these image companies. And at that time, you know, Mark Getty is the founder of Getty and he had this genius business model of selling images that can be resold over and over again. Other companies were doing it, but then he came in and bought up all the small guys. And okay. so then he just dominated. But there, yeah, there were some other, there was plenty of competition as well. So it was a really cool industry. It was good for me because I was in the business school at UT, but I also like the arts and I like to have something creative and I love photography. And that was such a good combination for me because we worked with photographers and filmmakers but ultimately it was a sales job but getty must have been really exciting in terms of initial sales because or did you have to explain the sale did you have to say okay you're not just you're buying this image and you but other people can use it (laughs) no they don't own it yeah so somebody else could use this image but then you could pay for exclusive rights so let's say you're going to do a magazine cover and you want to make sure nobody else is going to use that image, then you would pay extra for exclusive rights to it. So, so there were what do you, what do you, what's the photographer get in that case? So Getty buys it from the photographer and then Getty sells it to whoever, like who? Yeah, whatever magazine or newspaper or whatever. And then so the was, photographer would get a percent of every sale. So they get a basically a royalty. Yeah. And yeah. And then you're you were in the process of selling to, I would guess, pretty big name clients, right? The top tier like account. Yeah, I guess this was my first job. So there were other experienced sales reps who were selling to the big ad agencies. I guess I eventually got to that point, but at the beginning, I would have been selling to more corporate clients, like a KPMG newsletter or something like that. Yeah, and then you work your way up to the big account. And then I also worked has, on the film side, 
So you're selling to the Discovery Channel and their documentaries with film footage and photos. So, so that was selling like cool. re- redoing yeah. it. Re- really? Yeah, you, they, they would go through the archives and find all this footage. If Tom Petty, when Tom Petty died, well, all of a sudden, VH1 is going to put together a documentary on Tom Petty, and they're going to pull all this old footage they can find. So they would go to a place like Getty to do that. So we've got these researchers, film researchers out there going through all the footage to find the clips to send to VH1. In, my head, right now, in my head right now, I just see this massive warehouse of film rolls. Yes, for sure. With, for sure. Where, Every where, side was different. That was all digitized. But film, you, you still got to have the film. The industry's changed a lot by now. I mean, and I photographers, would, I would expect too. all this to be o- online. Like, I would expect Getty to just be only salespeople that handle the top accounts and everything else is online. That's what happened during the years that I... Well, but kind of the end of the years that I was there. And then after that, it quickly digitized. So I ended up going to a smaller company called IPN Stock after Getty. And I just liked the idea of working for a smaller company. I ended up moving back to Austin and I kept my job. I worked from home for them, which was great. But then as the industry became more digitized, they didn't need as many, they didn't need people like me. And so I ended up getting laid off because, yeah, it was just all online. You, the, these customers could service themselves. So it okay. was a cool industry to be in <laughs> while it lasted. Well, you got great experience, right? You, yeah. I mean, that, yeah. there's, there's nothing to be said about somebody that you can't look at that in, in a bad way because you actually had experiences of selling. That's yeah, it was whole... awesome. It was a great company to work for. I learned a ton. In New York during that time. Where was your apartment again? My first one was in Murray Hill, and it okay. was a doorman building and safe and all that. And then we eventually moved down to the East Village. I had a couple of okay. apartments there. So I was there for about five and a half years. So Damn, yeah, the I didn't know that. You were there for that long? Yeah, just kept okay. signing year after year lease and loved it so much. To me, it's the greatest city in the world. It, just to, as a city, you can get anything you want within a five-block radius. So you moved back down to Austin, and I am, what year am I? I'm like 2000, what? Where? 04. Okay. So I was there from 99 to 04. Coming back to Austin, when did you meet your husband? He actually went to UT with me. We knew who each other were, but we didn't know each other well. And so I ran into him when I moved back here. Actually, we ran into each other at an art show, which is funny because he he would not normally attend something like that. But so he was with some buddies that were also KAs at UT. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, these could be fun friends. And so we all started hanging out and going to concerts together, Willie Nelson, whatnot. He was actually scared to ask me out because I had dated a good friend of his in college. And then finally, what? this girl, a good friend of his was said, get over it and just ask her out. That was a long time ago. Just ask her out. Yeah. And by that time, I was waiting for him to ask me out. So anyway, we finally went on a date and yeah, got married in 07 and have three kids now. And we're lucky to spend. I didn't know if that was going to happen or not, but he started working in commercial real estate and got a good job here. And that's allowed us to stay. And so then you went into the wine business. When? 
Yeah, so I, I was staying home with my kids, and I knew that I wanted to do that. I liked being home with them when they were little, and I thought that I wanted to go back to work at some capacity at some point, but I was not looking for a job yet. But I heard about Scout and Seller through a friend of a friend, and it was a brand new company, and I just immediately was sold on this founder, Sarah, and her story, and the mission of the company, and I tried the wine, and I didn't get an awful headache like I usually do, and I was like, this is going to be something big, and I don't want to miss out. So I, right. I was like, this is not good timing at all. I, I can't even imagine how I'm going to have any time to devote to it, but I'm just going to, yeah. <laughs> it's like such an easy way to join a company. There's really nothing to lose. So I thought I'll just dip my toes in and see what happens. And it has been so great because I get to work from home. I make my own hours. Yeah. I, I get yeah. out of it, whatever I put into it. And so if I've got a kind of, semester where I can put a lot of work into it. Great. Now here we are at the summer and I'm going to be spending more time with my kids. So I'll probably back off a little bit, Yeah. Uh, but it's such a cool company, you know, to be in it through this growth stage has been interesting. There's a lot of, do you guys talk about alcohol statistics at all, like within the state of Texas and look at spike in alcohol? Yeah. During this past year, it's been insane. Dane, who would have thought we could have never predicted that a global pandemic would come and our business would soar. It was just crazy. Dude. But yes, we were yeah. one of the industries yeah. that were just booming. Yeah. It was amazing. And to have it delivered to your door and then exactly. the FedEx guys didn't even require a signature. So people were just Freaking, getting the wine dropped off at their door. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned the headache, right? The one big thing mm-hmm. about France, and they always boast about whenever you're in um, France or Europe, they'd be like, yeah, the, what, is it the sulfite? A lot of people, no, it's the chemicals um, and pesticides. There's up to 250 chemicals that are allowed in by the FDA in the conventional wine that we drink. It can be added sulfite too. So our wine is uh, has only the naturally occurring sulfites that happen during the winemaking process. Okay. Okay. And so that's one thing that in France, you know, people won't shut up about is that you won't get headaches mm-hmm. during French wine. They're so cocky about it. They're like, all right, okay, I got it. But mm-hmm. really do notice, you you really do notice it where you're like, okay, I don't, yeah, I'm a little boozy from last night, but yeah, I don't have a pounding headache from. Yes, for know. sure. That, we noticed that in Italy on a trip and, and I felt great after drinking a couple of glasses of wine at night. And that is the story of our founder too. She was actually an attorney and then she quit her job to follow her passion of wine. So she started studying to be a sommelier and she's traveling and studying and drinking wine every night for this career that she wanted. And she was getting these awful headaches every time. And so she started researching with winemakers and medical people and everything in between and realized it was because of all these chemicals that are but in the But it's not industry. a hangover. This is the thing. This is not a hangover. A hangover, yeah. I feel like there's a difference there because I think with a hangover, <clears throat> you're dehydrated and that's why you have, you drank too much. Like your body's mm-hmm. rejecting it. With some of the wine, you, you, you do, you can notice it where you'll have two or three glasses and you're not, you're really just, you've got a headache. You're like, wow, 
I shouldn't have a headache, but I have a headache. Um, yeah, and for that, me, I can't handle that much liquor or anything or wine. So I like to enjoy no. a glass of wine at night. That's what it, like, I really yeah, enjoy I, it, but I, I can't go drink a bottle. Be, I expect you to be like hammering down, I don't know, two, three bottles. <laughs> At a sitting. <laughs> but even with this clean crafted wine, I can't you can't go drink a bottle and feel fine the next day. Like so, you're saying, that's a hangover. That's different. What does clean crafted mean? What is that? That means that we lab test all of the wines that we distribute and they have to be free of any of those chemicals and pesticides and no added sugars. And so even if you have a vineyard in France that's doing it the right way, these small family-owned vineyards that have been doing it for generations and they're doing it the right way. If you've got a vineyard next door and they're spraying pesticides on the grapes and some of that comes over into your vineyard, then that's not going to pass our test. Like any trace of anything won't pass. So, so do you guys do you guys have like the pregnancy test, like where you like dip the strip in the wine? It's probably something like that. I've never actually seen the lab, but yeah, oh, probably. Sweet. You gotta get one of those for visual display. I was doing that for I was doing the keto diet and like keto, you have to dip this like little strip of paper in in uh, your pee, and uh, it'll tell you if you're in ketosis or not. A lot hilarious. about keto. I don't know a lot about it, but I do know that our wines, you can drink these clean-crafted wines and stay in ketosis. That's huge. Because keto, I lost, I, I, for about, it's hard. It is hard. Don't get me wrong. The first two weeks, three weeks were just brutal because you got to keep up with this diet that is mainly just meat avocados, nuts, you're putting like, you're putting butter in your coffee, you're doing like all this crazy stuff. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get as much fat as you can into your diet. And you don't want any, you don't want any starch carbohydrates, any just right, simple carbohydrates. Your carbs come from like vegetables. And I, I really don't know how to put it. I hate saying natural sources, but that's what's my, my keto advisor would tell me and okay. you lose weight fast you really do because when i came back from london i was pretty jolly let's just call it that i, I was I mean, too because I, I was hanging out at the pub i was at the pub too don't get me wrong like i was a full-blown alcoholic <laughs> fish and, there. Fish I mean, and chips yeah. and like, lager they have they have like meat pies over there that were after the <laughs> fifth pint you're like oh my god it's the best thing i've ever had so Keto, what keto does is that it just kind of, it slims you down. And the biggest, just you become religious about your diet. Mm-hmm. And if you slip out of ketosis and it's somebody else's fault, it's almost like they, they hurt your child. And so if you tell people and you know that they won't fall out of ketosis, uh, that the wine is, is not going to make you do that, then people will, they will go the extra mile just to get their hands on that because it is so Mm -hmm. hard to get to that point of ketosis. And people say it's not, but as a fat guy coming in from London, it was really hard for me, at least. My problem is ice cream, so I just uh, can't stop. But (laughs) when you're selling this wine, how are you distributing it? it, Are you calling people? Like, what are you doing for sales? So we have wine tasting. 
where mm-hmm. we bring the wine and the host can invite their friends or neighbors or business clients, whatever. And so it's my job to educate people on the wine. And so I'll pour bottles and we'll have a tasting and educate them on what clean crafted means. And then they have the opportunity to buy. So it's a cool thing to try before you buy. During COVID, that's been a challenge. And none of us have been doing these wine tastings for a while. But I already yeah. had a good customer base. And so they've continued to buy. And through that, and like I said, the business has only increased during the past year. So that's been great. But we were really just direct to, you know, consumer. And it's definitely seasonal. So right now, big for clean, crisp white and rosé for sure. And we have a lot of bubbly too, sparkling white and sparkling rosés. And those are always great for summer. But yeah, we're coming off of the winter when with your holiday meals, you want a big, bold cab. So it definitely is seasonal and I always switched a little bit in the summer to more whites I didn't know why but now it makes more sense yeah and And we source wines from all over the world so I I that that is so this is interesting do they does scout and seller make the wine or are they just they're just sourcing it what is they both so they source wine from all over the world so you have these small vineyards in Italy and France and Chile and all over and Sarah, the founder, will travel around and go to these vineyards. And when when these farmers are doing it the right way, then, you know, she can strike up the deal. And then if they bottle it, then it goes and gets tested. And then we have the opportunity to distribute it. But as the company has become more successful over the last three and a half years, we, Scout & Cellar has a hand in making some of the wine, too. So they might buy grapes from a vineyard. And yeah. come over to Napa, and then they do the bottling process. Or now we've they've got a vineyard in California, and so they are making some of the wines. So some of the labels um, that you see on our website will come up over and over again because those are the ones Scout Cellar has a hand in making. So it's cool. The product so is changing. So, so, they might get the grapes from France, and then they have a facility in California where they okay. have winemakers who would actually make the wine and bottle it and then put her labels on it. So there's a few different labels like that. And like we have a middle Jane label and she named that because of all these women in her family who have the middle name of Jane and it has this yeah. kind of special meaning to her. And then the Bernhard cab is our highest end cab and that she had a hand in making too and she named and that's a a family name as well so it's pretty cool I think there's four of those labels that she has had a hand in making in some way or the other do you talk about the grape while you're doing the consulting do you get down to that level of detail it depends on the group yeah if I have six bottles open I I definitely want to know a little story about each of them and it might be that the family's been doing this for 10 generations or yeah, it might be yeah. about this specific grape. We have these wines and a brand called, and they are grown in Chile and they're high altitude wines. They're grown at 20,000 feet and it allows for this great terroir for winemaking at those altitudes and there's no need for pesticides or anything. And so it is the perfect way to 
to grow these clean grapes for clean crafted wine. So, yeah, you, you definitely want to point out. Yeah, the, do you guys, do you go into the ice wines at all, like the grapes up in Canada or Iceland or anything We don't like have any. No, we haven't had any of those. Maybe that's in our future. I mean, that that's, I think it has a higher alcohol content. Yeah, I remember reading about that. Yeah, and then, I don't know, do you guys do port? Do you do any kind of port or anything? Um, we haven't had port either, but, man, I sure loved drinking port in Portugal. That was one of the places we got to travel to dangerous. while I was in London. So, yeah. Yeah, it was really dangerous for me. It was the Vino Verde. So, did you drink any of that, the Vino Verde in Portugal? I don't remember. Okay, so, do you know about Vino Verde? Like, how much the Portuguese drink this type of wine? It is... It no, I just, I know about general port, but not this. So you got to look up the stuff. It's called Vino Verde, and it's got, instead of a, what's the typical alcohol percentage on wine? It's like, what, 12, 10, 11, 12? Yeah. So Vino Verde has got eight and a half, maybe nine, and it's like a little, it's like the little brother of real wine, so you can drink plenty of it. It's like a mini muffin. And <laughs> so we go down there, what was it, 2006? 15 or 16. Anyways, we get down there and it is, it is just scorching hot. Tanny's pregnant. She's, and it's not a good pregnancy in terms of how she's feeling because she just, she has to be in bed the whole, like the entire vacation. Kind of a little bit of a blessing because I just said, okay, I got Sam. And so Sam and I was just really me. So dad put, I put Sam in the stroller and I cruised Lisbon. I mean, I was just all up and down the hills, just didn't care. I loved it. Uh, like, starting around, like, five, you just start drinking Vino Verde. It's so smooth. You put ice in it, so you fill it up halfway, and then you just take a bunch of ice and put it in there, and then it just gets mm -hmm. nice and cold. And what you have is that you almost have a wine slushy by the time you're finished. <laughs> so you put all this ice in, and the ice melts, and then it just waters down that wine. This is the level of science I get to when I'm trying to consider the alcohol content of my drinks. The ice melts <laughs> out the alcohol, probably not true. I don't know how many people you put ice cubes in. Is that a big thing, ice cubes in the wine? Um, no, it's not that? a big thing. You want to you want to taste your wine just, just clean as is. You don't want to alter it with <laughs> ice, which turns into water. But this is reminding me, have you ever heard of, I think it's called a calimocho in what Spain? They drink no. red wine and Coke together over ice. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a okay. friend who spent a lot of time in Spain, and he still likes to drink that. Like, Similar idea, I guess. Well, no, it's sangria, essentially. Well, sangria is sang more a red wine over ice, but you just put a bunch of fruit in there. This is Coke, soda, and red wine. I don't think I've ever had that. I haven't. Well, you never, have you ever tried it? No, like, I guess I should. No, no, I should know what try. it tastes like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I wouldn't want to drink man. one of my red wines with it. I think you want to, I think you're covering up like a not so good red wine. So you just throw half a Coke in there. Half the wine in Europe doesn't have a label on it. It's just, you, you yeah, don't know yeah. where it Table came wine. from. <laughs> yeah, you're, just, you're like, yes, that's right. What are the prices on bottles for you? What do you what do you usually so the lowest right now is sixteen and then okay. our highest end cab is seventy two. And actually I would say two years ago the prices were higher. With the success right. of the company they've been able with their own labels, they've been able to create wines at a lower price point. So that's been really good. We felt like our audience was more 
was a little bit older, but now with a $16 bottle of wine, anybody can purchase that. Are are, are you essentially, are you, so you're putting together, do you do all the marketing? Do you do, are you, do they just give you carte blanche or are they just saying you're autonomous and you can do whatever you want? They have, no, they have tons of tools for us as far as marketing goes and they have training and you can do as much of it as you want. As far Mm -hmm. as running the business, I can do a tasting whenever I want, or I can choose not to do tastings. All that is up to me. And then over time, I've grown a team. And so my role has really changed. Now I'm learning the leadership role of 30 plus people. Whoa, you got 30 plus under you? Yeah. Yes. What do you do for hiring? What do you like? What are you, if you got, are you guys growing? What's the, what's the process? We're growing there? exponentially. And I am always looking to ask my team. It's a great time to join still. It's still only three and a half years old. So we're still new. It's no big yeah. risk to join. So it's been such a cool learning experience and it's such awesome people. So yeah, if anybody like wants to hear about the business side of it, I just hop on the phone well, I would and think tell this them. Would be, okay, so I, I would think this would be perfect for somebody that, they, mom or dad, but somebody that, you know, wants to be home mm-hmm. with the kids. And it, it was your situation where you didn't want to jump both feet back into the crazy workaholic corporate. lifestyle, yeah. corporate lifestyle. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, because for it, sure. It but it's also great for a lot of people who are in real estate do this also because their network is so big and they've already just got somebody to talk to or you can bring wine to an open house and our teachers are great because they have a huge network and talk to so many people and then they can ramp up this business in the summer when they have time it's really interesting I mean busy people actually do the best at this job are, are you just juggling everything with 30 people and then two kids? That's insane. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Three kids. Three kids. Yeah. Yeah, I really so, like to be busy, and I like to work. And when my – all three kids are school age now, and they're gone for seven hours yeah, but a day. Where are you, what are your kids doing for the summer? Is it is it camp or – Yeah, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be challenging during the summer. And I, I've grown the business to where – I don't have to do a ton on a day-to-day basis. It it is running itself. And yes, I answer questions and stuff when needed, but I don't have to spend a ton of time during the day. I I feel like I've gotten myself to that point and I'm proud of the way that I've managed it. So yeah, during the summer, I'm going to be driving my kids around to little camps or I'm going to be having lemonade stands in the front yard, all that stuff. And two of them are going to go to overnight camp, but and I'll still have the other one at home. So it's going to be, yeah, the business is changing a little bit over the next couple of months. I got to ask, if you're driving around Austin all the time, are you seeing the traffic just getting worse and worse? I'm seeing the traffic, but what I thought you were going to ask about is the camping. So insane. You drive down Cesar Chavez, First Street, going, going downtown, where we used to walk around Town Lake or Lady Bird Lake. Yeah. And there are just, Tent after tent after tent all along there. And then if you keep driving and go across 35 over the east side, it's even 
more. And then like under Mopac at all these different intersections under Mopac, it's just a campground. It's so crazy. And I think our city leaders just had zero plan. And now they've said, okay, well, I haven't, I I haven't seen it. So I can't say anything. I just don't like, I I don't know. I've only seen pictures and it looks like, it looks like Los Angeles. It looks like Kittero in Los Angeles. Some parts do, which is sad because Austin, that's not how people saw it. That's not the Austin that people have in their mind. And when did that ordinance pass? Was it what, last year? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know, a year or two ago. But now it was just passed that, okay, we're going to get rid of this whole deal. But I don't think there's a plan on how to get rid of it. So we'll see what they come up with for that. But yeah, it's sad to see. And then somehow all these people still are just coming to Austin in droves. There's a new California family every day buying up a house in our neighborhood. Why, why do you say California? Because do you know? I do know that's where they're coming don't. from because I know people in real estate. And I have friends here in the neighborhood who are realtors, and they're talking about the California family buying the houses. Yes. First. I think there's a lot of people from everywhere coming out. I think New York, Washington. I think a lot of Illinois, yeah, at least in I Dallas, so that's what we're seeing is that the states that had the most restrictive lockdown, people are coming mm-hmm. in. And I think it's really interesting because my theory is this. So many people are going to jam Austin up that everybody who lives in Austin is just going to say, well, we're out. This no longer is the town we'd love. Uh, we're going to bounce to Dallas or Houston or wherever. I think a lot of people are getting fed up, especially with this ordinance, with the camping. I think a lot of people are mm-hmm. saying, yeah, this is too much. We're, we're not doing that. I'm not living yeah. with tents of homeless people. I'm going to try and move. I know, but I, the benefits are still so great of with this city. It would be, hopefully this whole camping thing is going to change. I guess we'll see about that. But like for me and Tony, I mean, to pack up and move somewhere else would be a really big deal there are so many things about Austin that we love so much what like what we feel privileged to be able to live here yeah what's number Um, one I think just the outdoor lifestyle we live near the green belt where you can go hike and swim and take the dog and Tony really I really need to do that yeah you're a biker too like he'll bike around in the green belt and say this is like being in Colorado or some, you do not feel like you're in Texas. It is so unique. And to have the lake and we have friends with boats and lake houses, everything's so accessible. Come, Come down here. here. You have to put your bike on the back of your car and figure out I how to ride I, down I, I here. I think we'll be probably in, sometime in August because we're going, we usually do an annual trip. So it'll be sometime uh-huh. in August and it'll be probably like mid to late August. We're doing Colorado and then Austin. A year, so okay, I will. Um, yes, yes, we we haven't been in touch. This is the whole thing. This is this is the main reason I'm doing this. I've lost touch with so right. many people. Let's definitely let's get together and yeah, I'd, I'd actually like you to try some of Tani's their wine. Yeah, I'm really very nice. curious about that.
Hey, that was pretty good, wasn't it? If you want to help me cover the cost for the show, I'd really appreciate it. If you can go to my website, catfix.biz, that's C-A-T-F-I-X dot B-I-Z, and donate just a few bucks. I just need to, this is taking a lot of time to produce, and the equipment's not that cheap. Hopefully I have this all set up where you can just put in a credit card or possibly Bitcoin if you really want to. Uh, But it's going to be through Stripe, and it's just, it's on the catfix.biz. Click on common threads, then you'll see the donate button. Thanks, guys.